We really are grateful that uh, we get to be a part of what God is doing in the world, just a little church here in Mandarin, but as folks have been willing to go and then lots of folks have been willing to pray and to give so that we can, as a team, be a part of building the kingdom of God on this planet. So thanks for doing that. And some of you may have watched and thought, wow, I didn't even know these happened or I wasn't a part. How can I get involved? Oh, missions is really at the heartbeat of the scriptures and therefore as a local church, we're not only involved in what God is doing in this community. We want to be a part of what he's doing globally. And so maybe we would go by right after the service out in the courtyard. We have those gazebos set up and there's one that's an impact gazebo. And that's an opportunity for you to simply say, I've not really been connected in missions because everybody starts disconnected from missions. And then at some point you make a step and go, I'd like to learn more. I'd like to maybe go, or I'd like to share with some who go. Simply ask the question of how can I get involved in missions here at the chapel, and that would be a great first step for you. We are super blessed. It's really one of our highest privileges to be co-laborers with God himself and what he's doing in this world, which he calls, it's his field, and he is at work in it, and he uses us. So that's a great privilege. Now, totally different that might seem not at all like missions at all, but the scripture says not only do we impact globally, but we are salt and light wherever we live. And one of the things you've heard me say regularly is, as Christ followers, we live as salt and light in a small way by voting. A vote is part of being salt and light in this community. And I'm telling you that because deadlines sometimes get away from us. August 1st is the deadline to be registered to be able to exercise your right to vote locally. So if you're not registered, I want to encourage you to take a short-term mission trip out to the table in the courtyard there and get the material you need to register so that you can exercise that small but vital expression of salt and light in the community as we live out our faith in that regard as well. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one with you, to Hebrews 11. If not, we'll have the scripture up here. But we are looking at a series called, By Faith, Whatever. By Faith, Whatever. And it's from Hebrews 11. The, the chapter starts with a description of faith that gives two vital elements. It says, first of all, that faith is an assurance. It's a conviction. But it's assurance and conviction in something we can't see, but God has declared to be true, therefore real. We are so used to only saying it's real if I can see it. If I tell my son, hey, I caught this fish, you know what he says to me? If you don't show me a picture, it didn't really happen. Well... That's living by sight. What the scripture calls us to is a life of faith. In other words, believing that some things really are true even though we can't see them. Keyword, yet. Yet. We're living by faith. They will become sight, but they're not yet. 
but we believe. So assurance, conviction of things that we don't see, but God has declared to be true. That's faith. Here's the key. Faith, whatever. In other words, you and I do not know what tomorrow will hold. It's kind of that, what we're trying to visualize here is every step we take is a step of we don't really know what it holds, but we're going to take it how? By faith, believing in what God has declared to be true even though we can't see it. Now, why was this written, Hebrews 11? This is absolutely crucial. We keep in our thinking the context. Hebrews 11 was written so that Christians who are suffering, and there were Hebrews 10 people, Christ followers suffering, so that they would not throw away their confidence in the faithfulness of their God. When life is good and life is easy and life is going the way we want, it's sometimes easy to go, yeah, I trust God. Yeah, I trust God. And then life gets hard. And life was getting hard for these Christ followers in Hebrews 10. Like they were getting imprisoned hard. Like their property was being confiscated from them hard. And the author of Hebrews was concerned that when life got hard, they would throw away their confidence in God's faithfulness, God's trustworthiness. And so he writes to them, Hebrews 11, this chapter of by faith, and he names character after character, man, man, woman, and he talks about how they by faith acted even when it was hard and they couldn't really see what God was doing. So, we are going to seek to be, as we go through this chapter, growing in our own faith. We're going to introduce this morning to, in verse 5, a man named by the name of Enoch. And here's what it says. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found. Why? It's not a secret. Why? Uh, he was not found. Where is he? I don't know. I can't find him. He was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now, this is why I want you to remember why Hebrews 11 was written. Pretty, pretty compelling for people who are facing possible death because of their faith a guy who didn't die. He was taken up. It's, it's really pretty cool. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, because every character in Hebrews 11 has a historical explanation in the Old Testament. Enoch is in Genesis 5, where it says, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now that ought to catch your attention immediately. What? That's pretty old to be starting a family. 65, and we have every reason to believe that Methuselah was his first son. But as you'll see in a moment, generations, the length of life dramatically different then than now. So 65, he becomes a dad. 
Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. So he's how old? Math. Okay, okay you get it. easy. 365. And he had other sons and daughters. So Methuselah was not an only child. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And here's what we get. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. That's all you get right there. You go, really? That's all we get? Yes, that's all we get. And this is why when people who have read this go, wow, Enoch must have been really special. I mean, special in the sense that Enoch walked with God straight into eternity. I mean, think about that. He walked with God, and when I say he walked into with God into eternity, what did he skip? He skipped the doorway of death. Every, everybody else walked through the doorway of death. Abraham, friend of God, he died. David, man after God's own heart, he died. Jesus, son of God, he died. Enoch didn't die. What was he? Not. That's what he was. He was not. He was, and then he was not. In fact, according to, if we understand Scripture correctly, the only other person clearly who was and then was not was Elijah. There's one other guy, so he's in the company of two of people who have historically thus far recorded in the Scripture escaped the grave, bypassed the doorway of death, and walked with God into eternity. And that's a great expression, isn't it? He walked with God. I mean, if the only thing that was ever said about you and your life was that you walked with God, that'd be a powerful statement. Because what's true about When you walk with someone, what's that, what's that tell you? <laughs> well, that wherever they go... You go. There is relationship there, that they walked together. There wasn't with Elijah, I mean, Enoch went that way and, and God went that way. So when my second son, Will, got married, after the ceremony, there was the reception and they started dancing at the reception. My oldest son, Clayton, loves to dance. He got his rhythm from his mama, not his papa. And so, I mean, he is like, I mean, not just doing the chicken. He's dancing so much that his lime green tie has turned dark green from sweat. The funny part was out on the dance floor with him was another CFC member in her 70s who loves to dance. And she was keeping up with Clayton. They were having a great time until he does some move that he learned in the fraternity house at Florida State. And she stops and says, Clayt Rutt, I cannot do that. I go to Christian Family Chapel. <laughs> In other words, we're dancing together. And then she stops and, mm -mm. any of you walk with God this week? Wow, uh, none of you. I should <laughs> prepare another sermon quickly. <laughs> Did any of you walk with God this week? <laughs> okay. Any of you walk with God and then he stopped and you kept walking? 
or kept thinking or you, your attitude went and he went, mm, I don't go there. Now, you see what I'm saying? It's not that Enoch walked perfectly, but there is this relationship. And I hope you'll be encouraged. I'm certainly encouraged to think about Enoch in this, my days of walking with the Lord. And in my actions, do I really walk past where God goes, uh, I, I don't go there? Or in my thoughts, do my thoughts go where God says, I don't walk there, I don't think that, I don't. You do, I don't. The scripture says, when you do because we all do it, the scripture says when we do that, then we're called to repentance. In other words, the changing of our mind that says, I don't want to walk where God doesn't walk. I don't want to think what God doesn't think. I don't want to be motivated by what God isn't motivated. And so I change my mind and I return to walk with him. Check yourself this week, really, if that very simple, very clear, very picturesque, I think, concept of that I'm walking with God or have I walked beyond where he walks or have I thought beyond where he thinks. So Enoch is really, really pretty special. He walked with God right into eternity. In fact, every other man in Genesis 5, in the genealogies, their life ends with the same three words. You know what they were? And he died. So everybody ends, and he died. And then I had this many kids, da, 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 and he died. And then this guy, da, 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 and he died. And then this guy, da, da, da. The, the norm is what? And he died. But not Enoch. He didn't. But then I asked myself this question. All right. For other than Enoch, for Methuselah and for Methuselah's mom, and Methuselah's brothers and sisters, really, what's the difference between and he died and he was not? You follow me? What's the difference for them? Nothing, right? Dad didn't come home one night, one day. He, he went off with a walk and he didn't come back. They got up the next day and he wasn't there and he wasn't there the next week or the next year. He was gone. And that whole concept then went, whoa, 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 whoa. How super cool is that? <laughs> because when you look at what happened with Enoch in relation to those around him, Here's what you'll see. This is the 10 generations of Adam to Noah and the length of time that all of them lived. Enoch is right here. What do you notice? What's very obvious? That Enoch, we go, man, he lived 365 years. But in relation to all the generations around him, actually Enoch was no more at a very, very young age. In fact, and you can check the math if you like, but I did the math and then I had someone check it because I said I'd rather be wrong before Sunday than after Sunday. 
The average age for those around Enoch was over 900 years old. That's the average lifespan. And so when you take Enoch being no more in comparison to the average age and you translate that into the average length of life in our time frame and you adjust that with Enoch, you know, when he died according to our time span. Now, by the way, I'm going to say multiple times and he died. I know he didn't die technically, but in terms of everybody around him, what? He died. He was gone. He was no more. He was not. How old? 30. And now I had a dramatically different perception of Enoch. It it wasn't, man, that's super cool. He walked with God and he was not. Now I had this whole thought that I never, and I don't think you would either, would ever go to a funeral of a 30-year-old young man and go, this is so cool. What would we think? What would we think, really? This is is too early. This is profoundly sad. So yeah, really super cool. He walked into eternity, didn't die. But really profoundly sad in the other sense that In our terminology, in our frame of reference, he was not at 30. To give you perspective, Enoch's father lost, in other words, he buried him, though he didn't bury him really. His son, before he buried his great, great, great grandfather. That's, that's, That's craziness, folks. All of us would say with feeling A parent should never have to bury their child. See, we can say it. We feel that. Hey, not only did a parent bury his child, a grandparent, and not only a parent and a grandparent, a parent and a grandparent and a great-grandparent and a great-great-grandparent and a great-great-great-grandparent buried Enoch. Only Seth, I should say not only, even Seth, the son of Adam, outlived Enoch. Enoch was not when his son Methuselah was the equivalent of 25. Some of you can relate to that. My wife's father died when she was 28. And she feels that profoundly sad. For those of us old people, 50 and older, Enoch never met most of his grandchildren. See, that's part of my wife's sadness. Her daddy only met half of our kids. Never met the younger three. He didn't meet any of his great-grandchildren. And you may go, oh, no, very few people meet their great-grandchildren. Not in Enoch's day. In Enoch's day, they knew their great-great-great-great-grandchildren. 
this, this, is, this is radically different. Now I'm thinking, oh, why is Enoch in Hebrews 11? Because this whole idea of by faith, whatever. Whatever what? What's the whatever here? Yeah. Can, can I use the expression untimely death and you not send me an email? I understand theologically there is not an untimely death that are, that are days or ordained by God. But from our perspective, is there not untimely death? Yes. See, this becomes very real because I have stood on this stage and on other locations and sought to speak about by faith when a child was living and then died two days before birth. How do you have, by faith, a stillborn? Or the little boy, 33 days old. How do you have faith in that moment? Or the 12-year-old girl, the 22-year-old motorcycle rider, Lots of different 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. And all of us, we sit in those moments and we think it was too soon. So theologically, yes, from one perspective, we know their days were ordained by God. But what does it mean when it doesn't seem to make sense and it certainly doesn't feel like it makes sense? See this Enoch, oh man, that's so cool. He walked with God into eternity. I don't know how cool that was for Methuselah's, his mom. They had thought he would live another 600 years or so. Wow. Just to be average. In these moments, we need really some truth. So what's true in these moments? What does Enoch remind us of? First, well, sorry, I meant to say before we went on to that, that to grow in faith, remember this? It's what we've said the last few weeks. To grow in faith is not to have more faith, but to have faith more frequently. See, we can think in those moments of untimely death, I need to have more faith. No, 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 no. More faith is a slap in the face of God as if, wow, he is so shaky, you need a lot of faith in him. No, it's to say, even when it feels horrible and I can't possibly see any good in this or any reason for this, faith is present. See what I'm saying? Growing in faith is faith being present. And moments where we go, no. Because probably almost every single one of you could tell me a story of someone who lost a child or lost a parent. An untimely death calls them to say, I'm done with God. I don't trust him. And, and it's untimely death that's the second guy in this chapter 11 to encourage them to have by faith 
whatever, which is really, in this case, whenever. So we grow by having faith more frequently. So Enoch reminds us the truth. Let me give you some truth, hopefully, in these moments. First of all, Enoch reminds us that godliness is not a guarantee for a long life. See, it doesn't say that in the text, and yet it does. Because the one thing that says about Enoch is that he walked with God. We might think, oh, if he died so early, we might go, oh, man, what what did he do? Why did God's judgment fall on him? No, it says he walked with God, and he didn't have a long life. Some of you have tried to make that contract with God. Hey, I'll live for you as long as I don't have to bury any of my kids. A godliness is going to equal long life for me, long, long life for my kids. Not, there is no guarantee. Didn't, that was not the guarantee for Jesus. Certainly wasn't for Enoch. To say it the other way, untimely death is not necessarily an evidence of lack of faith. Because I know, and you know, I have experienced the agony of asking God to heal a child, to save a child's life, to not take a brother. And they die. And then someone comes along and says, you just didn't have enough faith. Folks, that's a terrible, horrible thing to say to somebody at that moment. As if the power of faith is in the amount of faith. It's not true. You are placing upon them a guilt that they could never escape. And they could never escape it because it's rooted in a lie. That if, if you would have enough faith, you could somehow overcome what God intended to do. So he reminds us, we don't get guarantees. And we can't manufacture and manipulate what God does. Second, Enoch reminds us by his own example that not all have seen death in the past. And, and this is equally true, not all will see death in the future. Death is the norm, right? For most of us, it will be, and he died. But scripture gives us a picture, and again, remember, faith is believing, confident in what God has said, even though we haven't seen it yet. Here's what God says will be a real moment in the future. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until when? Until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they have died. For the Lord himself, here's the picture, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ. So this isn't true for everybody who has died, only those who have died who have been born again, who are in Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, 
in the past, we know of two people, Enoch and Elijah, who bypassed the doorway of death and entered into eternity. But there will be a time in the future that all who are in, on the planet and who are in Christ, when he comes in the clouds, are going to bypass the doorway of death and be with the Lord. But Paul says they'll be there second. Because those who have already died in Christ will be with them. Now, I had a concern after second hour, so let me make sure that I'm not saying that those who are, have died in Christ are not with the Lord yet. They are. They are not yet with the Lord yet in their new bodies. But as we'll see in the text, they are with the Lord. So I want to make sure that's clear. So... Not all have seen death in the past. Not all will see death in the future. There will be a day when believers are no more. They will be like Enoch because they're going to be what the Scripture calls raptured and escape the grave. But that's not going to be the norm. The norm is what? And he died. And it's not always when we think it should be. You know, death is never something we're truly ready for. But let's face it. All of us will acknowledge there's a difference between death at 88 and 28. We, we can tend to expect it and accept it at a way at 88 that we're just not prepared to at 28. Most of us won't escape the grave. So I want to make sure that we address what's it mean to be by faith in the face of untimely death. To be by faith in whenever my days are done or the people that I love, their days are done. First of all, untimely death is never because God is lonely. Now I say that because we are prone to say stupid things in awkward moments. And this, this has been more than I want to admit what people say in awkward moments. Oh, your, your little girl, your little boy was just so precious. God wanted her to be with him. And you know what a mom thinks? As opposed to me? God took her for me so because he wanted her? Is that what you just said? It's the woman out in the foyer who said to me, my brother died in early teenage. person trying to be nice said, well, just, God just wanted him to be with him instead. She said, I've been, I've been angry at God ever since. See, sometimes we try to say things to help that 
don't help because they're not true. God is not lonely. God is not in heaven taking his favorite people to be with him. God is sovereignly at work, ordering, having ordained the days that we, you and I don't understand. What we know is this, that God always only works for his glory. So that is, that is why I'm saying when it comes to our days, it's by faith whenever. But it's not because there's some shortcoming in God, some loneliness in God that he is attempting to fill by taking children or young mothers or young dads or beloved brothers or sisters. It's a false view of God that causes us to say things that aren't true, that actually don't help, they hurt. Here's what we do know is true. Scripture says this about this transfer from this body to eternity for believers. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent, which he means is this physical body, which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's this great contrast. This tent going to get torn down. There'll be a house, eternal, a building made by God. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. See, that, that changes everything, just that expression. Swallowed up by what? By life. We are so afraid, so many of us, of death because we think when that day comes, when we step through that doorway of death, we'll be swallowed up by death. But the scripture says the hope that we have in Christ is there is simply a small threshold called death that when we step through it, we're swallowed up by life. That's totally different. Why would I be afraid or anxious about stepping through a threshold that would swallow me into life? Well, how can that be? He says, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Let's be clear. The gospel, the good news of the gospel of grace is this, that every single one of us is far from not just perfect, we are sinners deserving of the wrath of God. But Christ, the sinless son of God, took the wrath that I deserved, the wrath that you deserved upon himself by his death, so that if we would believe in him, that salvation would be given as a gift, not something that we would earn or work for. That's the gospel of grace. It's that what we were deserving of is not what we get because Christ took it in our place. 
And when we receive Christ, that's the language we often use, when we receive Christ, we receive the free gift of his forgiveness, he pours, the Bible says, his spirit himself into our hearts. Not only to equip us and enable us to live now a godly life, but his spirit is a pledge. You know what a pledge is? It's kind of the down payment for the greater promise. So his spirit is a down payment into my heart that when I step through this threshold called death, I will be swallowed up by life because God himself, eternal life himself, lives in me. And I'll put away the tent that has been keeping me from being swallowed up in life. That's the joy that we can anticipate in the threshold of death. The passage goes on. Therefore, because that's true, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So to be absent from the body, this is what we believe by faith whenever. That to be absent from the body for those who are in Christ is to be present with the Lord. And, and that is a priceless trade. And because this is true... There was a period in my own personal life where I was taught and thought, if I really believe this, then I would never grieve at a funeral. This was a, a joyful celebration. But folks, that, that's not true. And I've, I feel badly that I thought grieving was a reflection of not believing. Do I believe this to be true? 100%. Do I still grieve for a young mom, for a child, for a brother? Yeah, why? Why? Because God has made us for relationship. And when untimely death interrupts what is the norm of relationship, a child has a parent, a parent doesn't bury the child. When that happens, and that relationship is lost, we appropriately grieve. While still... Believing. When, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about that return of the Lord, he said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He doesn't say that you won't grieve, that you won't grieve like people who grieve and have despair, no hope. I've been to those funerals. Awful. It's awful. 
no hope that this person was in Christ and therefore are with the Lord. And so when there is someone who is in Christ and passed through and experienced the priceless trade, man, and it's untimely, I do grieve. I grieve for the loss of relationship. But I believe so that my grieving has hope. Here's the hope. Sorry, faith doesn't not exclude grieving. It grieves with confident hope. I I say the point, but I don't show the slide. I know I have to show the slide. Faith grieves with with confident hope. Here's the hope. That we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them. Who's them? Those who are in Christ who have already died. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with them and with the Lord from that moment on. So I grieve for what I lose here, but I believe that what I cannot yet see will be true. And so he says, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another in the confident hope of the promise of an eternal reunion in new bodies. And we don't have enough time to look at that truth, but that's a great truth for old people. Eternal reunion in new bodies on a new earth. Heaven will not be boring. And most of all, with the Lord. You see, I want us to be able to understand We don't always get the norm. Enoch's the reminder. But we can, when it's abnormal, by faith. Grieve and have confident hope. So I want to invite you to declare with me. I want us to stand, and this might seem maybe unusual for you, but I want us to declare a truth together in song. So stand with me. If you're over in north, go ahead and stand. We want to declare in song the truth of what we believe by faith whenever our days are done. Let's declare this together. There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well Jesus has overcome And the grave is overwhelmed The 
That's the truth I want you to leave with. There will be a day when faith will become sight. It won't be simply a a confident hope. It will be a real experience. Whenever. By faith. Whenever. Would you there standing just as an expression of your own trust in God, declare to him just quietly in your heart, Lord, I trust you with my life and my death whenever. And maybe even more difficult though, I trust you with those that I love and their death whenever. Father, thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And you are our hope. And I pray that we would walk by faith in the abnormal, the whenevers, the untimely, that our trust would be in you to the praise of of your glory in Christ's name. Amen.
bless. Thanks for being with us. Go in faith.